Good morning, everybody. It's been a, a great morning. And I, I just want to say a special um, thank you to, to Victor, because it's a big job getting a leading worship, and I reckon he did it so far. All right, so I'm going to get um, two trusty volunteers managed to get before the service, uh, Israel and Tessa. And um, we're going to begin the, the message today with what I call the Warhead Challenge. All right, so um, you may not have heard of Warheads, but um, they're this little sweet hard-boiled lolly, um, which you might think, oh, that doesn't sound too, too hard, but um, too difficult to eat. But it's coated with an intensely bitter and sour lemon flavoring. Tessa, do you want to come up? All right, so, so what we've got here is a nice sweet lolly, like a hard-boiled lolly, but it's coated in this intense flavoring. Okay, so f- basically what it means is for the first minute, you've got to... <laughs> You're up here now, mate. You've got to do it. And so, um, so I'm going to give this one to you and this one to you. And I'm going to, to get you to open it up. And so for the first minute, it's, it's kind of intense and then it, it kind of calms down after that and it becomes a normal lolly. Once you've put it in your mouth, I'll give you a cup just in case it's so intense you have to spit it out. But let's just see how they go. All right, hold the cup. And just take, have a good look at their faces. Here we go, Tessa's started. <laughs> you got yours in yet? Come on. He hasn't even opened it. <laughs> all right. It, is it starting to calm down at all? Looks like Tessa's has. <laughs> all right, good one. You've survived. Tessa's survived. Her, her grimace has turned into a... Oh, Israel just didn't look like he even struggled, but anyway, there you go. So if you're ever, um, if you're ever at the Melbourne show, by the way, you could get a war bag, war heads bag. But I'm, I'm not here to, um, to give them a, um, an ad. All right, thanks, guys. Well done. And now your treat is that you get to keep the lolly in your mouth. So, all right, reading, reading the prophets, reading the prophets, I reckon can sometimes be like eating a warhead lolly. At first, it hits you hard, and these are God's words, and they're direct, and God confronts us, often confronts us with our entitled, comfortable stance towards him. And God says, how can you stand before me and say, we are saved, and yet you continue with these behaviors? And so it's, it's intense, you know. Um, God's light shines, and it shows up our dirt, which is ultimately a humbling experience for us. God's words, they kind of pinpoint us, um, pinpoint for us where we've become complacent. But, but the sweetness starts to come in when we realize that the prophet's strong words are not God pushing us away or rejecting us, but in fact, it's God calling us, calling us back to himself. And so there's this sweet center to, to the prophets, um, God calling us back to him. So what does God want from us? What, what's God calling us to? He's not calling us to more ceremonies or to better church services with bigger bands or you know different worship music. God's calling us to do justice, to give our best, to be true to him, to be generous, to be different for the right reasons. God calls us to be faithfully and to each other. So like a warhead, you might initially meet the prophets with trepidation. Um, it seems like a bitter pill 
But if you are willing to let God's message sink in, then you'll find yourself in this series that we've been doing so um, doing over the last, I don't know, six or seven weeks, we've been exploring the Old Testament of Malachi. Malachi was the last in the long tradition of Israel's prophets that spanned about a thousand years. Their words are recorded in mostly in the second half of the Old Testament, and Malachi steps on the scene in Israel's history about 400 years before Christ and about a thousand years on from when Moses, Israel's first prophet, first acted as a spokesman for All right. And Malachi speaks to Israel at a time down the track a bit from a major disastrous event, the exile, which had seen God's temple destroyed, the cities destroyed, and God's people taken away into slavery. So they've battled on, and it's been about 150 years, and they've eventually returned home, and they've rebuilt, and they've resettled. Things have sort of calmed down again for them as a people, and they've found a new normal, you could say. But life is not what it once was for God's people. It's a way more humbling normal for them now. Nothing like their glory days that they remember from the past or that their great-grandparents might tell them about. For many, their trust that God is with them has kind of waned as well. So generally, they keep turning up to the religious meetings that they had, and they're doing what's expected, but for many, their hearts are no longer really in it. And so there's an emptiness to the whole thing that they're doing, which if they're not noticing, God certainly is. And their discontent and their disregard for God has led to Malachi coming, Malachi, God's messenger, to speak up. So reading the prophets allows God to speak into our community too. We, we read them and we know that it's, it's written for a time that was a long ago, and yet those words of those prophets speak into our community, our lives um, as, as Christians, as a church. And, um, and this is vital for us because like everyone else in history, we have this same tendency to organize our lives outside God, okay? We lose sight of God. We get distracted. We become dulled to the truth that God is at the center of God is at the center of life. And I'm, when I talk about um, having this tendency to organize our lives outside of God, it's not just, I'm not just talking about people who have stopped coming along to church or people who maybe they're agnostic or they're atheists. Um, it, it happens to us too, even those who come regularly every week. Our hearts become callous, indifferent, blinkered. And just like the people of Israel, we can presume that we're the holders of God's truth um, while we've actually lost sight of God's ways. And so we really need this, the prophets to be able to you know, give us those hard words and, and remind us again and refresh us again. This is when the prophets' words can really shake us up, set us on the path of new discovery. So today is our last week of, um, of looking at Malachi, and we're looking at the concluding chapter. Okay, and it's not only the last chapter of Malachi, but it's actually the last chapter. Okay, so as we um, as we'll see, it kind of creates a bit of a bridge 
um, from, from the Old Testament to the New, and it readies us, hopefully, to welcome Jesus. Since um, we're coming into the time of Advent, it's a timely um, time for us to look at Malachi and, and look at him today, um, at his words. So without any more introduction, um, I'm going to begin by, by looking at, um, at Malachi chapter 4. And we're just going to go through it step by step. So I'm not going to read the whole lot. I'm just going to read it bit by bit. So let's, let's um, have a look at that. We're going to go straight to verse 1. Here it is. It should be on the screen. The Lord of heaven's armies says, The day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace. On that day, the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw. They will be consumed, roots, branches, and all. There we go. What a start. <laughs> now, um, let me just say that this is not God being vengeful and wrathful. Okay, when we, when we see, um, see that verse, this is God simply saying, I'm at the center of life. I'm at the heart of things. And so sooner or later, you're going to answer to me because I'm, I'm at the center of everything. I'm the creator. Eventually, everything that doesn't reflect the true goodness of God will be consumed and will no longer be allowed to corrupt the earth. So it's kind of like this. Like I think of it as God presenting himself like a blacksmith, okay? And he's forging us in his furnace. When we devote our lives, uh, our lives to God, he shapes us and he draws us out. He shapes us into how he wants us to, to be. And this is God kind of forging substance to our life. Character, love, courage, joy. God's shaping us for, for fullness, fullness of life. And so it's like God's at the center of life and he's intense with life. And while we submit ourselves to God, he refines us and brings substance to our life. So the point of this verse um, to begin with is to say, you don't have to be condemned. God holds up this picture to everyone, including the arrogant and the wicked, to say, don't be like that for your own sake. Don't allow your life just to be made out of straw. God's promise is that when we organize our life and build it on his foundation, God will enrich our lives. Paul in the New Testament actually picks up this same sort of blacksmith language, if I may call it that, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, um, and he's talking to Christians here who are, who are attempting to build their lives on Jesus. And he says, if anyone builds on this foundation, in gold, good to build it on, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw. So it's starting to get a bit, sound a little bit flimsy. Their work will be shown for what it is because the day will come, sorry, the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and person's work. If what has been survives, save a reward. So here Paul, talking in a similar way, is saying, as, as we build our lives on the foundation of God, we find ourselves um, building certain things and in, in our life. And some of those things, God will say, you know what, that was kind of, that was all about you. That wasn't about me. And so that's kind of like straw-like, and that's going to just be, that's going to be consumed. Whereas... Whereas these things, oh, well, they, they're going to last. They're lasting. They're, they're things from me. So if we organize our lives without God, we become kind of blinded 
to God's presence and we become fairly self-serving people. But if we live, um, if we live that way, we find ourselves lacking in life and made of straw. There won't be much that endures when we encounter God. All right, so let's move on to the next two verses, verses two and three. And, and here we have a, a pretty different picture that, that comes forward. Okay, but for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with him in his wings and you will go free, leaping with joy like car let out to On the day when I act, you will tread upon the wicked as if they were dust, says the Lord of heavens. So this is a very different and very evocative message for those who fear the Lord. So those who, that's meaning those who honor God. And, and what we see is God's blessing is kind of described a bit like a sunrise. We have this, this new, um, there's this different posture towards God of, of honoring God. And what is created is what I'm going to call today faithful prayer. Okay, so for me, this idea of faithful presence, this is the, the right posture that God wants for us to have before him and before okay um let me just this is my description of what faithful presence means faithful presence is living according to the reality that god is present okay faith faithful presence is living according to the reality that god is present and that god uses a people faithful to god's presence to make god concrete and real amidst the world's struggles okay so we're saying god's at the center and I'm going to pay attention to God, and I'm recognizing that God's presence is then going to be made concrete and real amid the world's struggles through our community, through us as people. But see, that sort of thing doesn't just happen. Faithful presence doesn't just kind of click into place. We actually need practices that shape us to be a community. So let's have a look at um, those, those few, that, that kind of image of, of God's sunrise. And, and the way it's described in these verses, and, and just try to draw out what are some practices of faithful presence that we, um, we can see in this. So firstly, there's a rising sun. Okay, the, um, there's, there's the sunrise. Um, there's light where it was once dark. There's security now where it was, there was once danger. There's warmth where it was once cold. So we see that God's presence and us being devoted to God and, and looking at God and paying attention to God, it's like the world uh, opens up for us, just like a sunrise. The sunrise Im imagery is, is this picture of what happens when we live a life of faithful presence. And the kinds of things that we're going to do and be is we're going to be deeply present to God. Okay, So we're going to be prayerful people. We're going to be thankful, humble, trusting devoted we we want his light to shine okay so that's just the first the first little bit okay the rising sun there's something a bit interesting about this sun that's rising it's called the sun of righteousness so it's like the beams of light are actually making everything um everything right so the word righteousness i i think it's a bit of an unfortunate it's it's developed unfortunately in in the english Okay, to a point where I reckon it has. When we hear the word righteous, we think, I, "Well, for me, tell me if I'm if I'm the same as you." 
I think it's developed a competitive new. Okay, so when we think of righteous, we think I'm more right. Well, I'm more righteous than you. Well, well, let's all have a fight about who's more righteous. And and so it kind of it, it, there's a slight not being right for me, which is a shame because in in the Hebrew, righteous it's really not about how good you are or how good the next person is. It's about being related with each other and with God and with everything in the right way. Okay, so I call it. I prefer to use the word right relatedness. I don't even know if that's a word, but that's to me that fits better. To say um, doing what's right, it's not a competition. It's not about being better and about getting getting it together more than others. It's about wanting to be related in the right way with every person that you relate to, with with God, with even just with the things around us. Okay, so you start to actually have a deep respect for for what's going on around you and you want things to be related right. Okay, so maybe your friend's having an issue and there's and you, you want to actually make that right. You don't just go, oh, I'm going to let that roll. So the sun's light makes things right, right with God through reconciliation. So we don't have to carry uh, the burden of resentment or, or we don't have to look for revenge but God's light is causing right relatedness with each other to happen through grace, humility, patience, and love. We, we become deeply present to one another and to the world around us, listening to what God is doing. We're open, we're discerning, we're curious. We listen, we watch, we try to understand. We don't just rush in thinking we know best. We don't manipulate to get our way. But we also don't neglect our responsibility. When we see something that's not right, we, we, we feel a sense of responsibility. And, but we're careful about it. So we ask God, what, God, what are you doing here? What are you already doing here without me? And what, what are you wanting me to, um, what are you calling me to do? How can I make this right with you? So I reckon that's a beautiful picture. Not only is there a sunrise, but the sun's light is making everything right. Okay, and then the next phrase is wings of healing. Um, so the sun of righteousness will rise with healing wings. Sun, the sun's brightness in, in a sunrise, I guess you could sort of see it a little bit like wings maybe, um, but the, also the word, like I guess the poetry of using the word wings, it really makes us think about freedom, about a bird flying. And so there's this kind of sense of um, of finding freedom in this right relatedness, in this in God's presence being with us. So wings of healing speaks to me of um, of this, I guess of of this faithful presence of God, and and that um, that God is wanting for things to be made right, to be made whole. And so we, as God's people we actually have a new sense of trust in things being healed, things being made right. So the, the sorts of practices we might take on from that is that we, we take risks towards wholeness. So, you know, like I think we all probably have relationships in our life. We get used to just a pretty base level friendship. You know, you go, oh, yeah, we're friends, but we don't ever really press in when things maybe aren't so good. We just kind of get used to this is the way I relate, you know, 
Like I think, for example, you might say, oh, I, I never tell my brothers I love them because that would be a bit weird. Um, so we just joke and we just have fun and there's nothing wrong with that. But every now and then you think, oh, what, what's something I could risk? What's a risk I could take in this relationship that would just, I don't know, bring it, bring it a bit more depth or, or give it something that's going to bring some potential healing um, in, in, in that particular relationship. So we start to actually be a bit more courageous, a bit more hopeful, a bit more creative and a bit more prayerful about the way we relate to the things around us. And there's a, a huge myriad of ways that we can do that. Like there's all sorts of issues, maybe environmental issues, social issues that, that come up that we think, yeah, that needs healing. What can I do? What can be my part in making that right? So in this way, we're, we're kind of like forged in love. Um, God's, God's at work in us because we're faithfully present to him. And then we're actually able to, to do these works of healing around us. The next step is, and you will go free, it says um, in, in verse, um, verse 2. And you will go free, leaping with joy like calves let out. to. So the freedom is about breaking out. Um, freedom from being trapped. We, we already prayed today um, against slavery. Think of all the many ways in which can be slaves, whether it's slavery or, or often just being stuck in ruts um, in our lives and feeling we can't get out. And so this, this is another beautiful um, addition to our, our picture of this sunrise that it's going to free us. It's going to bring healing. It's going to bring freedom. Um, and so if we're people who trust in this, who trust in God, then we're going to trust in his goodness and we're going to stand up for injustice. We're going to defend the poor. We're going to love our enemies because we're trusting that this light is stronger than the darkness around us. Lastly, we're leaping like calves. I love that picture of, you know, uh, these baby cows. Um, they don't just wander out into the pasture, they, they leap, they, they bounce, they, they frolic. Um, yep, so, so we have this, this freedom brings joy. So we celebrate the right relatedness that's going on, that's coming, coming forward. Um, I'd love it if we had a little news segment in our, um, in our church um, each week. Not news like the news we hear on TV, but little news like, hey, this, this happened in my life here's a change that happened for me and it might be something really small but we can all celebrate it and say that's fantastic you've you've had some right relatedness happen in your life you know something that that before wasn't that great and now it's been made good you've you've had some reconciliation or some justice has come and and we should be celebrating that each week in in our in it uh so that's hopefully uh, people excited by that picture of the sunrise, yeah, it's it's something that that's life changing for us if we turn our eyes on God and if we seek that faithful presence. When we're shaped by God's ways, are bent to His will rather than just doing whatever we please, then our hearts are set free to truly love the way God loves and to live in a way that release releases whole. The things we do hold up. In the blacksmith's furnace. Um, the things we do are lasting and they're celebrated. Just to close, um, the last couple of verses 
speak of what I'd call the two horizons that kind of hold us in faithful presence, okay? So there's looking back and remembering the horizon of God's history, what's behind us, and then there's looking forward to anticipate the horizon of God's future. So if we're paying attention to God, we're going to be concerned about, hey, what's, where's God showed up in the past and what, what's God doing in, in the future? So the first verse, um, chapter, sorry, verse 4, chapter 4, verse 4 says, Remember to obey the law of Moses, all the decrees and regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai for all Israel. So God's action throughout the Old Testament is, is saying that Malachi is saying, remember it. Remember the law of Moses and remember the decrees and the regulations. Remember the way God set things up and remember who you are, that you're God's people. Now, God's action throughout the Old Testament and ultimately in the life of and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, those are the things. It's like God's planted a huge sign in the middle of history and it says, God is is here. God is on your side. Believe and live. Okay? So that's why we got to look back. we got to look back at those stories of the Old Testament, look back at Jesus, and we got to say, those are my stories, actually, because those are all stories that are part of God's big sign that he's planted in history that say, God's on your side. God is here. Believe it and all right. So that's what we have to do. We have to be able to um, pay attention to our scriptures, pay attention to to that history, and pay attention to what God's actually already done in in the life of of our church, in the life of of the church of of all people. Um, it's the story of God's redemption. These are our stories, and so we got to ask: Do we live in the light of that? I think we should. It's it's our it's it's a key horizon for us. So then verses five and six, the last two verses of the Old Testament, they say, Look, I'm sending I'm sorry, look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise I will come and strike the land with a curse. All right, so do we live in anticipation that God is making all? Do we live in the light of this sunrise of God? And, and are we actually saying, great, I'm looking forward to what God's going to be doing? Malachi's contemporaries, they would have been a little bit baffled by, um, possibly, by this sort of specific and kind of obscure prophecy about Elijah coming, you know, um, to, to end your, your prophecy with, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah, um, is in, and then that's going to be just before the day of the Lord arrives. Um, it, it's an interesting sort of way to, to, to conclude. Um, but if you remember anything about Elijah, the thing that was strange about him, as well as him being a great prophet, is that he didn't technically die. Like in, he, he got um, a, a chariot of fire came and picked him up and took him up to heaven. Okay, so there's this idea of, hey, Elijah's up in heaven. He's going to come back. Okay, so Malachi's contemporaries, they didn't know exactly what God had in store for them. Um, and, and when Malachi said this, it was maybe a little clue for them. 
but it wasn't something that got understanding about their future. But people for 400 years, for generations, preserved and anticipated God and they stayed in that faithful presence. And then it, and then it was 400 years later that that prophecy was fulfilled. And there was a faithful remnant there that were ready for Jesus' coming. Because sure enough, John the Baptist came in the, in the spirit of Elijah, preparing the way for Jesus. And Jesus actually spoke about that to, um, to his disciples about John. In Mark chapter 9, he says, Then they asked him, Why do the teachers of the religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? And Jesus said, Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything ready, but I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they chose to abuse him. Um, So that's Jesus' words, uh, kind of fulfilling for us this 400-year-old prophecy. Doesn't this chapter really give us the meaning of Christmas? Jesus comes to give light and truth where there was darkness and confusion. Jesus comes to set things right where they were wrong. Jesus comes to give healing where there was sickness and brokenness. Jesus comes to bring freedom where there is bondage and to give calf-like joy where there's dreariness and fear. So this morning, to conclude, listen to the prophets. Appreciate their intensity. We know God doesn't let us go, but let's never presume to be in God's truth so that we can get complacent. Instead, let's, let's pursue God. Let's be on a constant pursuit of discovery, of new discovery, of who God is and what God's doing. And let's embrace faithful presence. Let's be present to God so that we might be more present to one another and to the world around us careful to listen, ready to learn, ready to serve. Amen. All right. Um, What we're going to do now is we're going to uh, just have a little time of response. And uh, you may have, hopefully you have had a sense of God being present with us this morning. And it may have been in the music, it may have been in, in Lynn's prayer or any other part of the service that we've had so far, or it may be in the message. I, I want to encourage you to get out your response card and and just to spend this time just actually writing down something that you think God might have said to you this and think about what you're going to respond. Okay, and there's a couple of questions up on the board um, which are, are just to help you. So don't feel you have to answer those three questions necessarily. Um, so the first one is, what change is God calling me to make towards faithful presence? Maybe there's something that I've said this morning that's sort of given you inspiration. Um, what will I do this week? Always good to actually have a something real that you're going to do. Not just, oh, that was a nice thought. I'll leave that in the back of my head. And the last thing is, um, just having concluded our, our series on Malachi in our lives, it could be good just to reflect a little bit about that, especially in here over the last six or seven weeks, to say, what will I take away so I'm going to leave you now. There's going to be a little bit of music. And, um, yeah, I'm, we're going to collect those response cards um, in the last song, um, if you're willing. Okay, thank you.